Good morning and welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. And we're so glad that you are here this morning. Today, we're gonna find out what spring cleaning has to do with your faith. Stay with us. today on when we're filming it could be different today <laughs> um, but today the sun is shining correct so because this is kind of like the launch of a season I'm gonna give you some would you rather questions Sweet. you need to play along with us in the comments and these are actually really funny but I'm really excited about okay. them and they're hard Ooh, okay. would you time. rather do the chicken dance or the bunny hop in front of a large crowd of people can you explain to me what a bunny hop is? I think it's the one where you like forward, backwards, one, two, three. <laughs> right. Yeah. I would do that one. Me as well. Um, Although, but if you did the chicken dance, I feel like more people might join in. Wait, I, I guess in? like misery loves company, so if you want to join in on the chicken dance, I'll do it with you. If you see me but... in the parking lot today doing the chicken dance, it's because there's a dare. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Would you rather? Have that plastic green grass, like, uh, basket liner stuff mm -hmm. yep. for hair or a large plastic egg for a body. <laughs> I feel like my my body shape is a large plastic egg. <laughs> um, Especially after COVID. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, I'll do the plastic egg because I feel like it's just natural to my body type. I, I think so too. Okay, would you rather have wings like a butterfly or feet like a bunny? Oh, I want wings like a butterfly. I want to be able to fly places. That would be really yeah. It'd be so convenient. Imagine. Guys, where would you fly with your butterfly wings? This is the question. Oh, anywhere right now. Anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, we'll save a question for another day. Okay, egg hunt or scavenger hunt? Uh, like does a scavenger hunt have treasure? Sure, but you like have clues. Oh, <laughs> I'm falling, I'm falling thought. I think I want a scavenger hunt. I like the yeah. idea of a mystery. I mean, getting the candy's nice, but it's just kind of like a free-for-all, where a yeah. scavenger hunt... Like yeah, I can win a scavenger yeah. hunt. Yeah! <laughs> Any maybe other competitive people out there? Yeah, maybe that's something I have to work out with the Lord, but... Okay, uh, hide the plastic eggs or find the plastic eggs? Ooh, hide. I would hide. I would find them, because they probably have candy in them, okay. which would be great. Okay, carry an uncooked egg everywhere that you go for a week or carry a hundred plastic <laughs> eggs everywhere that you go for a week? I don't know, what, what would you choose? Well, I feel like you could be smart and put the hundred plastic eggs in a backpack. True. And carry them around for a week and that wouldn't be so terrible, but the like, uncooked egg Yeah, I, would I stink. agree, I'm with you. But it'd be easier. Okay, last one. Fly a large kite or roll down a large hill? Okay, do you know, do you know um, that competition in somewhere, I think, in England with the cheese rolling down the thing? Okay, yes. 
I would like to do that. So if I'm rolling, I mean, I would end up rolling down the hill. You would end up like hurting yourself. Well, maybe, but no. I think that would be fun. Okay, if you haven't seen, I think it's the Gloucestershire cheese race, you need to go Google it after this because right it, now- It is a truly extreme sport. Yeah, it is, it's insane. <laughs> So many people are injured and it's like straight down even though it doesn't look like it on film. But no, I would fly a kite. I love flying <laughs> kites. I would not want to go down that hill, but rolling down like a nice decent gentle hill. hills is kind of fun. But there you go. Yeah. Alright, so I hope that you were playing along with us in that and giving us your own take on what you would rather do. But right now, we're gonna just allow you, Anya Scoot, and we're gonna hear what you have to say to us this morning. Sweet. Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Marcus. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church. And I don't know about you, but I'm not a very sentimental person when it comes to my stuff. Like, I have a couple of things that I would uh, hold dearly to, but primarily for me, I'm not really somebody who holds on to things really closely or has a lot of sentiment tied to those things. I call my clothes regularly where if I haven't worn them in a couple of months, I'll donate them or sell them or um, find another use for them. Um, but I don't know, what about you? Are you somebody who's sentimental? And if you are, uh, just for fun, what is your most prized possession that you have in your home? If you're somebody who's sentimental, what's that thing that automatically comes to mind where if you have that thought of getting rid of it, it would just be like heart-wrenching for you? Well, as we look forward to spring, as we're recording even today, it's like a beautiful sunny day. It's warm out, warm-ish out. Um, there is like birds chirping and the sun is out. It's beautiful. And so when we see that spring is coming, there's one thing that that means. Spring cleaning. As a kid, it was like a dreaded day. And now as an adult, it's a day that makes me feel energized and empowered and excited because all those things that we've hoarded over Christmas and over the winter that was cold and dark and bleary uh, is kind of leaned out in our home of our possessions and our stuff. But for others, the idea, the thought of spring cleaning could be something that causes this like sense of sadness or loss because you're getting rid of some things that you maybe hold dear to your heart, that you're maybe getting rid of some of those things that you've been holding on to uh, that you maybe need to leave behind. It's interesting that tension, isn't it? It's interesting how people work, where one person could get rid of something without even giving it a thought, and then another person could have this like heart-wrenching, sad moment if they ever had to get rid of that same thing in their life. Well, I wish that there would be like a standard that we could have of what should be sentimental and what shouldn't be, but the reality is there isn't. It's, it's uh, tied to who we are that those things that we find are sentimental. But although we can be sentimental with things that we have or our possessions around us, I think in our personal and our spiritual lives, we have the same thing, where we carry stuff that's much harder to let go of than even our possessions. Some of those things are maybe your preferences, uh, your past, an attitude that you're carrying, um, a belief maybe that you hold that is being challenged or that is for some, in some way being, being degraded in, in, a little bit. Well, the nice thing is that although we don't have that standard for our physical things of maybe what we should hold on to and what we don't need to, uh, Jesus in our passage today actually does set a standard for what we should and maybe shouldn't hold on to in our personal and our spiritual lives as we journey in this life. So as we continue today our series in John, we're going to look at a story 
uh, of kind of a moment where Jesus has his own kind of sense of spring cleaning that on the surface looks like just physical, like tangible things. But when we dig deeper into God's word, we find it's filled with truth that will bring others close to him, that will bring us into greater freedom that we can experience through Jesus. But before we jump into our word, let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are with us. Thank you so much that we are given freedom as a gift from you. God, I pray that if there are things that we're holding on to today that maybe we need to do our own little type of spring cleaning with, that Holy Spirit, you would help us, that you would guide us, and that you would be with us as we do that. We thank you so much that you give us an example, Jesus, of what matters to your heart and what matters uh, to you and what should matter to us as well. So God, I pray that uh, my words would become so quiet and that it would be your spirit that speaks, that convinces our hearts and that changes us because that's the only way that we experience that. We love you, we thank you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, the passage starting in chapter 2 that we started with Pastor Lisa last week shows a number of signs that Jesus begins to perform in his public ministry. And he does these signs publicly in like mass gathering and also privately when we see like in our last week where Jesus converts water into wine at a wedding. And he does these things not just to be like flashy and cool, but in order to fulfill kind of the crux or the, the central message of what John is hoping his gospel presents of Jesus. Remember the verse that Pastor Lisa said she wants us to have memorized by the end of this series? If you do know what it is, I'm going to give you a moment right now to like flex that, that like memory muscle and type in what the, what the reference passage is. It's obviously found in John. That's your only hint that I'm giving you. Um, but if you know what that passage or that verse is, why don't you type it into the comments right now? I'll give you a moment. Are you ready? Finish that final word, that final sentence. Well, it's in John chapter 20, verse 31. And it says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's what the purpose of these signs are for, is to, for us to see that and believe not in the signs, but in Jesus, that he is who he says he is. That he's Messiah, the Son of God, and that we can have life in believing in him. And so we're going to read today in John chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 13 and go to 17. It says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there, and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple, with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their, their tables, and he told those who sold pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remember that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So when we look at this moment, it uh, can kind of seem a little bit strange. It almost seems like this is not a sign of Jesus being the Messiah, but it's a sign that Jesus had these like strange temper tantrums where he just had this like crazy moment where he like got very angry and like tantrumed through the temple. But to understand this passage, I think that there are a few things that we need to understand about Jewish culture, about their customs, that gives us clues into what this passage really does reveal about Jesus. Because I don't think that the purpose of this passage is to say that Jesus had temper tantrums. And so this passage is bracketed on either end by something called the Passover. And the Passover was a Jewish festival or celebration that they observed each year. It spanned over a week and included temple sacrifice, which is what we're kind of part of the story that we're learning about today. 
there is a feast, there's a number of specific practices and questions and kind of customs that Jews would have over that week. And so since our passage is bracketed by the Passover, I think that it's something that John wants us to consider in this passage, where we need to kind of see that he, he is pointing to something in this passage. And so the Passover is, is considered to be one of the most important and also sacred observances of Jewish culture. It still is today. And it spans, its origin spans all the way back to Exodus, to almost the beginning of the Bible. At that time in Exodus, we see that the Israelites were enslaved by Egypt, where they were growing in numbers. And as a result of the fear of the Pharaoh, that these Israelites that were growing in number were going to uh, have power over the Egyptians, he chooses instead to harshly and awfully and, and terribly enslave them, where he um, murdered the firstborn children of Israelites. And he just tried to like tamp them down and keep them suppressed and oppressed. And so as a result of that terrible oppression, God raised up a man named Moses, and he was responsible for leading God's people out of Egypt and from the oppression that they were facing. So one of the ways that, that God did this was by sending plagues on Egypt. There were 10 of them in total, and the final one was, almost, was the most devastating. It was the death of all the firstborn males of Egypt, all of them except for the Israelites. This is because God commanded the Israelites to sacrifice lambs, like each person, and to smear the blood over the doors. And if they did so, that they would be spared from this terrible moment. And so they do. They, they smear the blood over the doors. Uh, the angel of death passes over Egypt. And as a result, um, all of these, these um, tragic events happen. And as a result of the tragic events, the Pharaoh um, does finally... Uh, let the people go, let the Israelites go from their oppression. And so as a result of that, and, and over this time, God wants them to remember that moment. God wants to remember when the angel of death passed over uh, and spared the Israelites. And so this is then instituted as a yearly uh, observance for the Jews in which Jesus is celebrating in our story that we're in in John. And in Jesus's time, to observe the Passover meant you brought a temple donation, uh, like monetary donation, and also a uh, clean and unblemished animal sacrifice. However, it wasn't just any type of money that you could bring for your offering. You had to use a specific type of shekel, a temple coin. And so there were money changers that would typically sit outside the temple so that people, as they came from kind of all over the region uh, with different currencies, would be able to change their currencies into the one that would be used for the temple offering. And so this was something that was actually instituted in scripture. It was something that was, um, was permitted in scripture. And then any Jewish male uh, within 15 miles was required to make uh, a trip to the temple during the Passover. And they had to bring an animal sacrifice as well. And so you can imagine that dragging a large animal 15 miles in the middle of um, this really hot, dry, arid region would be incredibly difficult. Um, I have just a small 30 pound dog and even dragging her as a puppy around on a little walk is something that's frustrating. It's exhausting. Um, if I was in that hot, arid climate, it would be very taxing for me. And so for some of these people, it just wasn't a possibility for them. And so what happened uh, is that the sale of sacrificial animals was done in front of the temple. And so they would do that where it was almost like a convenience for these people to go to the temple, purchase that unblemished animal so that they could still make a sacrifice 
and to fulfill the requirements of the Passover then. So the issue here is not that this was happening. Both of those two things were instituted in scripture. But the issue that Jesus has is how it was happening, not that it was happening. The how is what Jesus was what made Jesus angry with these merchants. We see that in John 15 verse 17, it's like very abrupt. It says, and making a whip of cords, he, Jesus, drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal of your house will consume me. So scholars believe that it was likely that these merchants that were doing the, the conversion and selling these animals were fleecing the people that were coming to celebrate the Passover, where they would sell these animals at an incredibly high rate um, and profit off of them, where the money changers wouldn't do it at an equitable rate of exchange, but instead they would inflate the numbers and then keep it all for themselves. And so it was that kind of um, oppression that infuriated Jesus because this action was creating a barrier for people to worship. Particularly, Jesus uh, mentions the doves. And that's because the doves were a, um, were a sacrifice that were permitted, but were typically for people who were poor. Um, it was the least expensive sacrifice that you could purchase or, or, or raise yourself. And so uh, these people were fleecing even the poorest of um, culture. And so this infuriated Jesus because it was creating a barrier for people to worship. And this irony isn't lost on Jesus because a major part of the Passover that's still recognized today is recognizing and advocating against oppression, not just of the Israelites, but of uh, all oppression that exists and still persists in the world today. And so these people that were fleecing uh, those coming to observe the Passover were doing the very thing that they were supposed to be advocating against during this holiday and in their life. And so God is not a God that celebrates injustice in any way. And that's why Jesus responds in this way, because he is perfect and holy. And there's a suppression and sin at the same time that, that equals his wrath. And we see that wrath expressed in Jesus clearing this out. And we see through Jesus that it grieves his heart even more when people who profess to follow him oppress those around him. It grieves his heart even more. But I think that there's another layer to this story as well. Because the temple was actually separated into three different parts. There was the innermost part where Jewish men uh, would be able to gather, and also that was separated into a couple parts where priests and high priests would be able to go in as well. Further out from that would be uh, the, the part of the court where women could gather and worship and pray. And then beyond that one, the furthermost part, furthest most part of the gates or of the temple would be the, the Gentile court, or it's sometimes called the court of the Gentiles. And this was a part where anyone could enter and worship, whether or not they were Jewish, regardless of their cultural background, their religion, their customs, whether they were um, in Jewish terms, ceremonial, ceremonially clean, anybody could come to that court of the Gentiles, gather there, seek God and worship him. And so when we see this story, we, we see that um, Jesus references that he doesn't want his house to be made a house of trade. But this story of Jesus cleansing the temple is actually seen throughout all of the Gospels as well. And each of them has a little bit of a different focus in their um, expression of this moment. And some people can kind of debate because uh, the cleansing of the temple in John's Gospel is really early, 
whereas in the other Gospels, it's very late into the story of Jesus' ministry. And that's basically just comes down to the fact that John is more concerned with uh, the presentation of truth, that Jesus is who he says he is, than he is about the chronology of Jesus' ministry. And so there, it seems like it kind of conflicts um, in history, but that's because of John's specific focus. But in Mark chapter 11, verse 17, that's part of the, the moment where we see Jesus cleansing the temple in that gospel. And it says something with, which I think is important for us to understand for John. It says, my house shall be called the house of prayer for all the nations. So not only was this moment financially corrupt, not only were these people um, oppressing other people financially, but it was preventing unbelievers from worshiping and experiencing God's presence. Jesus is emphasizing that he came for all nations, for all nations. And that in doing so, he cares about the barriers that are put up when um, it comes to experiencing God's presence. But here's the thing, friends. The barriers that were created weren't made by Jesus' hands. They were made by humanities. They were made by humanities. And our hope here at Evangel is to be a safe place for everyone to explore faith. No matter your background, no matter your culture, no matter your skepticism, no matter your current state of life, or maybe what things you're leaving behind by coming and exploring faith in Jesus, everyone means everyone. But it can be so easy for us as believers to create barriers that prevent this from being a safe place. Because no matter what the, the, that barrier is, we see that it grieves God's heart. It grieves his heart when those who are exploring faith find themselves facing a wall instead of an open door. Now, when I was a kid, I wouldn't say I was the most coordinated. It's a bit clumsy. I was kind of gangly. Um, it's almost like my limbs were too long for my body and I couldn't figure it all out. Um, I was absent from the world around me at times. And so there was this one moment where I was at a friend's house and uh, we were about to go outside into his backyard. And I can't remember all the details of how this all kind of played out. We were goofing off and something that one of us did caused me to run outside, whether that was like they had water or they were doing something. I can't remember what happened, but I had to run out of that sliding door really quickly. So I turned, I started at full speed toward the sliding door. It was a wider door to get out into their backyard when bam, I ran straight into the screen door. But I didn't just like bounce off it. I didn't put a hole in it. Instead, I like collided with it at full speed. I ripped it off the hinges. I like caught myself up in it. I like fell like a bundle onto the floor. I was shocked. I couldn't believe what had happened because I could not comprehend this barrier of the screen that was in place so that I couldn't even see it. I couldn't find the fine mesh of the screen and, and I faced a barrier that I couldn't even like comprehend was, was there in front of me. And as much as this is kind of like a funny story of me being an awkward um, preteen, how often can we do this very thing when we're with people who are exploring faith? How much do we do this very thing with people who are exploring faith? Where we say the door is open, it's ready for you to come through. Jesus is waiting for you on the other side. And then we create a barrier or a screen for them that they hit into. They hurt themselves. They find themselves disoriented. And they maybe are a little bit hesitant then to walk through that door again. William Barclay puts it this way. 
He says, the temple authorities, this is about the story, temple authorities and the Jewish traders were making the court of the Gentiles into an uproar and a rabble where no man could pray. The lowing of the oxen, the bleeding of the sheep, the cooing of the dove, the shout of the hucksters, the rattle of the coins, the voices raised in bargaining disputes. All of these combined to make the court of the Gentiles a place where no man could worship. The conduct in the temple court shut out the seeking Gentile from the presence of God. Jesus was moved to the depths of his heart because seeking men were being shut out from the presence of God. Is there anything in our church life, a snobbishness, an exclusiveness, a coldness, a lack of welcome, a tendency to make the congregation into a closed club, an arrogance, a fastidiousness, which keeps the seeking stranger out? Let us remember the wrath of God against those who made it difficult and even impossible for the seeking stranger to make contact with God. Friends, a safe place is no longer a safe place when there are barriers put up that keep others out. And I think this is a hard truth of this passage, that we cannot just do the work of identifying the barriers that we have built, but that we actually have to be actively dismantling those barriers as well just like Jesus did by clearing those things out. Because by doing that, it means we can be an open door for people to explore faith rather than catching them by surprise with the screen of our preferences, our judgment, or anything else that we maybe have put up that can trip others up in the process. Well, it grieves God's heart to see barriers put up for people exploring faith. And if it grieves God's heart, it should probably grieve ours too. And not just grieve our hearts, but spur us on to action as a result. And so I think we might need to have a moment, I know I've had a moment, of asking the Holy Spirit, uh, just a piece of scripture in Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24. It says, Search me and know me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When we look at the story before the one that we're on today, we see that the water turned into wine was about conversion. But this sign was a sign about cleansing. And this is a process that we experience as believers. This is a process of sometimes that we need to do the hard work of in our lives, is by cleansing those things that put up barriers from people exploring faith. Because the reality is, friends, if we put up that barrier, whether intentional or not, if we put up that barrier, it's not just a barrier for somebody else. It begins to be a barrier for us as well. And so is there something in our lives that needs to be cleaned out so that Jesus can do a work in your life and create an open door for others to walk through so that they too can receive God's love? Is there something that needs to be cleansed out that's putting up a barrier for people to worship Jesus and explore faith? Because the reality is by us doing that hard work, it doesn't just leave us feeling awful about ourselves. There's no means of, like I'm not trying to, to condemn anybody or to, to force shame on anybody, but I'm trying to communicate that by doing this, we experience a greater freedom in our lives. Or if we clear out those things or tear down those barriers, that there's freedom that comes as a result of that. That you're not carrying that expectation or that bias or that uh, preference on your shoulders that becomes really heavy. That by doing so, we actually find an increased sense of unity with each other, an increased sense of unity in the body of Christ. 
an increased sense of purpose in what we're doing, where we don't have obstacles or barriers in our way to see the purpose that God has for us, that we can see it clearly. That by pulling those barriers down, by removing those screens, that we actually find ourselves with inroads into our community, where we find ourselves uh, relating to and being with people in a way that is a safe place, in a way that makes a safe place for others, but that also fosters a safe place for us too. And so by doing this work of tearing down those barriers, which is hard work, which requires not just um, you to do it alone, but requires God and his help that we can experience all of those things in greater measure, in greater measure. Well, our story continues in verses 18 to 22. It says, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So once Jesus had done this crazy moment of taking his whip of cords and getting rid of um, all of that corruption and, and, and cleansing the temple, the crowds around him were like shocked and awed. They, this would be something that you couldn't look away from. And they say, what sign do you, do you show us for doing these things? And that's kind of like a weird cryptic like, way of, of saying that. When they asked them that, they were basically saying in a nice way, who do you think you are? Like upon whose authority do you think you have to do this? Because that what they wanted from Jesus was his credentials uh, that said that he, was, he had the authority to cleanse that temple. It's interesting to note that the Jews actually didn't dispute what Jesus had done. They didn't say, How, like, why did you do that? Or what did you do that for? But instead they said, whose authority did you do that? And as devout Jews, they would have known the predictions of the Messiah. They would have known the, the forethought of, of people in the Old Testament saying, this is who the Messiah will be. And one of them is, a, is the one that John highlights in scripture saying, zeal for your house will consume me. So by asking this, this question, what they mean is by this act of yours, Jesus, you have publicly claimed to be the Messiah. Now show us a sign which will prove your claim. And so Jesus, instead of pointing to something external or something even illustrative or some type of metaphor, he simply points to himself and he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. When we read this in scripture, it can kind of read flat, like it can kind of just read as like, pure dialogue. But we realize that in this story, in that moment, like there are people around him, it's 3D. So it's likely that Jesus, when he said that, he actually like gestured or pointed to himself. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And you know, when he says that, this claim is still kind of lost on the Jews. And it's even lost on the disciples um, because in their minds, they were looking at the physical beautiful temple that was ahead of them and in front of them. They said, no, that, that one took 46 years to build. They were focused so much on that like physical thing. But they missed what Jesus was saying then, who he was pointing to. And the nice thing is that us reading this story now, we have the gift of knowing the whole story. We have the gift of knowing the whole story that Jesus was truly pointing to himself and the act that he would do later in his life. The barriers created for those who were seeking faith was, was Jesus's motivation in cleansing the temple. But I think he also had another thought in mind 
By making this claim about Jesus himself being the sign, his goal was to move people away from the source of their faith being the temple, the only place that they could worship, and, and shift it towards the person who is the unified Jesus. I think this connects a previous paragraph we read in that when we find our source of faith in something temporal, whether that be the physical building, and although the physical building is not something that we need to abolish, it's, it's a great tool to be able to gather, it's a great moment for us to have a space to, to be with each other. Anything other than Jesus that we have as our source of faith, what it naturally does is create a barrier to worship for both ourselves and also for others. And so maybe as we're kind of seeing or identifying or the Holy Spirit is revealing some of those barriers that we put up, it's likely that you're probably not doing it intentionally. Maybe actually it's simply that you're finding your source in something other than Jesus, where you're looking towards something and as a result are, are raising things that don't need to be there. If that's the case, I wanna encourage you to come back to him, to make him your source again. He's there waiting for you with open arms, with grace and truth and life for you. And, and like I said, freedom and unity. He's waiting for you to make him your source again. And he wants to dismantle those barriers alongside of you, that you don't have to do it alone, but that you have Jesus primarily and first and foremost, and that you have a community of believers around you as well. And this passage, like I said, hints at Jesus' death and resurrection that act at the very end of his life. That's what he means by the temple being destroyed and then raised up in three days. And the beautiful thing is, again, those brackets, that the sacrificial death and resurrection of the true Messiah would have been on the Jews' mind at the time. Because this is actually what the Passover hoped for, that it looked toward, that it pined for, was that moment where the true sacrificial lamb would come as the Messiah. So it would be on the Jews' minds, and so we can see that connection that Jesus is trying to make there. So when we look at this claim by Jesus having the benefit of us knowing the whole story, we see that Jesus wasn't only concerned with dismantling the barriers for those seeking faith, but he was concerned with dismantling all other barriers of the previous religious system so that all, both Jew and Greek, slave and free, could worship Jesus freely, equitably, and without the burden of sin and the law and death in their life. And it was accomplished by his death and his resurrection where the temple would no longer be this divided place where certain people could have some access to him. But instead, it would be Jesus, the one who invites all into all of those exploring faith with open arms to come to him without barriers, without separation, but with a perfect closeness and relationship with him. Let's close off this passage in John chapter 2, verse 23 to 25. It says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Well, we see this like weird moment where Jesus doesn't entrust himself to the people around him as a result of them seeing the signs performed. And it's not because he was being exclusive or making a values claim of who can and can't follow him or should or shouldn't but rather that he knew that people were maybe misunderstanding what the sign actually was. The people were getting caught up in the visible signs that Jesus was performing, but the whole point of those visible signs is to point people to Jesus himself. 
because Jesus never intended for himself to point to the signs, but rather for the signs to point back to him. The sign in this story and in scripture is not that Jesus turned water into wine. It's not that he cleansed the temple, but the sign is that he came, that he is the promised Messiah, that he is the one that can bridge that divide that we find, that can tear down those barriers in our life, that he is the one who is pointing to himself, that he is the one that can sustain our faith, that he has a plan to save humanity from the oppression of sin by dying as a perfect sacrifice for us. Basing your belief on, on visible signs rather than Jesus means your faith will constantly be at risk. Since you then rely on jumping from sign to sign to sign to continue to sustain your faith, but what if that sign doesn't come in the time that you were hoping? Well, then it begins to crumble. Of course, experiencing miracles are a great blessing that comes out of God's abundance, that encourages our hearts, that spurs us on, that continues us forward, that, that points us or should point us to Jesus. But if, there's, if those miracles are, miracles are all that they are, just simply those miracles, and they point only to themselves, then friends, I think we've missed the point. Because the ultimate sign that we have been looking for, and the only sign in which sustains our faith in the long run, is Jesus, is Him. He is the sign, He is the clearest reflection of God. He is the sign that we are looking for. And our responsibility in this is to simply be signed po posts that point to Jesus. Well, I think that today Jesus is maybe wanting to do some spring cleaning in our lives. That he wants to tear down some of those barriers and he does it by being the one who has authority to do so. In the same way that he had the temple, that he had authority in the temple because he was the Messiah, that he has authority in, in our life because he is the Messiah for us, because he is our creator. And so I think he wants to do some spring cleaning in our lives today. But the thing with doing some of the deep work is that you and I can't do it alone. We need to rely on his spirit to help us, to guide us, to strengthen us. We need to rely on each other to lean on and to support us and to spur us on and to sometimes, yes, check us for those moments where we fail. And so today, as we respond to God's word, I simply want to read the scripture I mentioned earlier in Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24. And maybe it's a prayer that you need to say today as well. Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Well, I'm so glad that you guys have joined us today as we all endeavor to be a safe place to explore faith in Jesus, to receive his love, and to look more and more like him each day. And so I think today, this is just another step in that process of doing this together that this process helps us look more and more like Jesus each day. And so I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for us. God, thank you so much that you um, sent your son, that Jesus, you cleared that temple, not just to get rid of those things, but to show us that you can take down those barriers in our life and that it grieves your heart when those barriers are there. And so God, I pray that we would choose today you, that we choose the life that you give, that we would choose um, to do the hard work of dismantling those barriers so that we can experience you freely, but even more important that others can walk through the door 
to you and experience you without any barriers in their place either. So God, if there are perspectives or preferences or opinions or maybe even an attitude or, or whatever that is, God, I pray that you would reveal that gently by your Holy Spirit, that you don't do that to our shame or to our dis demise, but you do that with gentleness and grace and truth and in order to continue to live for us to live in more freedom and more unity. So God, I pray that you would continue to do that work and that we would choose to do that with you and partner alongside of you. We thank you that you do that with love and grace and mercy. We pray this in your name, amen, amen. Well, if you're exploring faith with us today, I want you to know that there is room for you here too. There is room for you however you find yourself and that door is truly open for you to walk through. If you are looking for a sign today to take that next step, to believe in Jesus, to explore faith a little bit more, that sign is Jesus. It is Jesus. Yes, there may be other things that happen in our lives, but they should point to the ultimate sign of Jesus. The one who came to earth, who chose to uh, die on a cross for you, to choose to be that, that perfect substitution for you, and the sin and the, the brokenness that we find in our lives that we have no way of solving on our own. He chose to be that perfect sacrifice that we deserve. He died for your sins and for mine. And he chose not to just stay dead, but he rose again by his power so that we can have that gap that we find with him be bridged by Jesus. And he didn't just stay dead. He, he came to life. He rose again. He restored that relationship. So that that weight of sin and shame and our past that we maybe carry with you can be freed, can be taken off so that you too can be in relationship with him. So if you are looking for that sign today, it is Jesus and he's waiting. The door is open for you to walk through if you want to do that today. So I'm going to pray with you as well. God, I pray that as people are here exploring faith, but if they're looking for that sign, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them so powerfully and so obviously and so clearly. God, I pray that it would spur people on to make that decision to follow you, that it would spur people on to continue to explore faith in you, and that they, in doing so, would find somebody who is there with no barriers, with nothing holding them back, with nothing bridging that divide, but with you already doing that work so that they can be in perfect and right relationship with you. God, I pray that you would be with those people now too. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, fr friends, thanks for, for joining with me in this moment. And I pray that God continues to, uh, to spring clean alongside of us. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next week. Well, thanks so much for that message. And I'm so glad that God removes all barriers for us to have a relationship with him because it's kind of all or nothing. Either he removes all the barriers or we can't have a relationship with him. So I'm so grateful that we have had his peace and his presence, especially this past year. Well, we have a graph popping up for you right now. We just wanted to give you a snapshot into how we're doing um, financially as a church over the last couple of months. And we've kind of watched your partnership with us in terms of giving uh, kind of slow down a bit. And so we just wanted to say, hey, you know, if it's been a while since you have um, given here at Evangel Church, we just want to put that on your radar because your partnership is really what allows the ministries of Evangel to keep moving forward. And there is light at the end of this tunnel, which means uh, that we are going to be ramping up 
in terms of getting our ministry starting to roll again. And as you know, in this last year, we've been able to reallocate things, um, but we're going to need to reallocate them back <laughs> as we look to the future with such hope and anticipation of being together in person. And speaking of light being at the end of the tunnel, uh, we are hearing some things that there might be uh, a potential that Easter could look a little bit different than we were expecting. And so stay tuned. We haven't heard anything quite yet from our provincial health officer at this time of filming, um, but stay tuned to your email, uh, to our social media, because we might be providing some guidance about some exciting things coming for Easter. Um, Good Friday will still remain online. Uh, that's not gonna change because we have some exciting things planned for you with that. It's gonna be a little bit of a different service. And so we're really looking forward to that, but stay tuned because there might be some fun things coming for Easter. And last, it is tax season, and mm -hmm. so we did mail out all of the contribution statements to you, and we're hearing a few trickles coming back towards us that some people have not received theirs. So don't wait. If you haven't received your contribution statement, just get in contact with the mm -hmm. office, and we'll make sure that we get one resent out to you as soon as possible. Well, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. We just love having you with us here on Sunday morning. I know it's second best, uh, but it's better than nothing. And so it's been so nice to spend some time with you in the chat and to be together, even if it's virtually. We pray that you have an amazing week ahead. Bye, friends. See you, friends.